assumed that they would uh, invite the man and expect anything else. I don't yeah. quite know what the hell they were thinking. Um, we might as well uh, kick off before I go into a rant, which should probably be recorded. Um, we're doing our um, roundup of two, 2012 um, Scots Way podcast. And this has now become a regular thing because it's the second time we've done it. And it's myself and Chris Ward. Hello. And uh, recorded as always by Ian Gregson. And we are going to uh, go through our favourite films, books, uh, music and miscellany um, of the year. And just basically talk about it. And we have some other people uh, giving, adding their two penneth worth as well, um, which should be interesting. Um, how are you, Chris? All right? I'm all right. Good. I'm okay. Um, we were just, I was raving and ranting there. I was about to go into one on um, James Kelman recently won the Saltire Book of the Year uh, prize for Mo Said She Was Quirky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it. Um, there you can find a link to the page on my uh, Facebook site. He, I mean, I don't know what, he didn't rant, he just did what he always did. He just spoke in his own language and gave his opinion on the state of Scottish writing and Scottish culture in general, and shock horror. Um, Apparently he was castigated, the point he was making, as he'd been making for a long time, is that there is still this thing in in Scotland um, where the language that many Scots use is seen as secondary, it's seen as lesser, it's seen as, as being uh, not correct. And somebody stands up and has a go at him for using exactly that language, then surely making the point he is making yes. himself. Well, I, I believe what happened was he, he swore on stage, at which point someone heckled from the crowd saying, would you please moderate your language? To which he predictably responded, fuck off, moderate yourself. Um, which I think anybody could, you know, would have expected from Calvin. But it reminds me, I don't know, were you there when he spoke about at the concert hall a few years yes, back? Yes, I was, yeah. Yeah, Kieran Smith Boy. And it was a similar thing. I mean, it was one of the, the conversation pieces, which is generally lunchtime chats, for aimed at, you know, they take place on weekdays, uh, not during, you know, holiday times of year, and when people are likely to be off work or whatever. So it's fair to say the audience is generally... Uh, more elderly, you know, is is a, a lot of older people come along. They have they make a nice day of it. They have a nice cup of tea and a sandwich, and then they come and hear somebody off Radio Four upon their latest book. Uh, you know, and it's always the whoever it is has been interviewed. They're interviewed by Ian Anderson of Radio Scotland. Then yep. this time it was Kelman. I don't know what they thought they were going to get, but uh, of course the issue of swearing came up again, and. Um, Kelman, as ever, just straight to the point, like, who cares if I say fuck? There's people dying out there, and of course, immediately scandalised whispers and touts from from the from the assembled. Well, yeah, because uh, basically it was like my gran in the audience, you know, yeah. God rest her soul, and uh, for some reason, I always used to forgive Billy Connolly for swearing, but anyone else, it was bad language. Yeah. Um, as you, this is, if it's obviously people that have never read his books, and to give the man a prize and then have a go at him. Seems really, you know, yeah. odd to me. I do have a feeling that it's this was almost like a token. Well, he's been around because it's not his best book. But I mean, I, I read it, I enjoyed it. Um, I think there was lots of problems with it. One being that it didn't, it was too static. The central character, you know, all, all of uh, Kelvin's other books, there is movement, there's interaction with other people, and that doesn't happen with Mo said she was quirky. But it was still a, a terrific book. But I think there were better books this year, and there were certainly better Kelman books that deserved to be recognised. And I 
hope it's not the case. I'm sure he wouldn't want it to be the case where he's got the stage where it's like we better give him something. You know the uh, the Martin Scorsese yeah. uh, uh, a for the departed. Oscar Award yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, did you read most of it? I didn't. I didn't get around it, of course, because I spent most of this year um, trying to get through Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, which took up between a quarter and a third of my year. And I'm still well, only, so really about an third, I'm only about a third of the way through it. It's, like, it's, it's one of these things. It was like um, when I read Lanark. Um, yeah. It took me my entire summer between high school and uni, between finishing high school and starting uni. Um, you know, I had a clear six week run at it or whatever could just take all the time I needed and that's the ideal way to tackle Lanark and I feel like an extended period of time like that would also be the best way to tackle Infinite Jest which I didn't have this year and um, the example I always give to illustrate the people just exactly what the experience of reading Infinite Jest is like is I started I picked it up one night just while I was in bed just thought I'll read a chapter before I go to sleep <laughs> Look, looked at uh, what I was about to read it was five pages or so I was like ideal you know it's quite small print but I thought that'll take me you know 10 minutes 10-15 minutes ideal I uh, didn't realise that a couple of pages in there is a footnote which leads to 18 pages on Quebecois separatism uh, which, is, an, is, which is an even smaller print because <laughs> it's footnote size so it's 18 pages of footnote size print on not just Quebecois separatism fictional Quebecois separatism with all these factions that you've never heard of because he's just invented them uh, and it took me over an hour <laughs> so uh, that's with the experience. I mean it's, it's brilliant uh, don't get me wrong but it's just it's, it's draining and uh, it takes a lot of focus and uh, extended periods of time to read and I hope to go back to it soon but I needed to take a break because I realised I had a summer like that with The yeah. Lord of the Rings when I was younger and then just you know it was the whole summer I had to take to do it and yeah you're right some of these things did. you didn't yeah. but you know you just never get that time anymore exactly so that cut down on the, the number of books that I read this year just because I was reading one for about three months and uh, still I'm only a third of the way through it. but uh, is there no uh, I mean I don't know um how willing you are to speak to because your vested interest but I, a couple of the stuff a couple of things that Cargo put out this year I thought the the Elsewhere box was, mm. was excellent um, I'm sure that would be Mark Buckland's book of the year yeah I'm sure <laughs> not be, just yeah. his I might say that, yeah. that, that, that one, I mean we'll talk a little bit about the book festival I think later on but uh, yeah that, that was a, um, certainly for Cargo uh, was a huge release and uh, I I, I mean, I th the reception of it was terrific yeah it's, it's a beautiful thing I mean even just as um you know, I suppose it's a similar kind of way to the way that uh, records have kind of made a resurgence now that, um, you know, books are making the, the switch to digital as well and, you, you know, with, uh, the kind of popularity of Kindle to have, you know, just a physical object that's just clearly been lovingly put together and designed and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and crafted uh, and in a way that enhances the experience of reading it. You know, it's just a really beautiful kind of object. Well, this yeah. is an interesting point because uh, in um, Elsewhere it was we, it was big so we broke it down into four manageable, you know, um, sections, themed sections. Um, I don't know if you've seen or got your hands on Alistair Gray's collection of short stories. I've seen it, I, I haven't got a copy of it. Right, um, it it's a collection of every short story, Can I Get have brought it out, every short story that he's ever done, includes some brand new ones, amazing writing. It's huge. Yeah. It is, I think it's unreadable almost in the fact that it, you cannot, any book that you can't hold in, you know, it's bigger, it's far bigger than the Bible in most cases. Um, you can't put it, not that I'm a regular reader of the yeah, Bible, Bible, but I know, yeah. in one hand and carry it about. It's not, it, it's again, it's a lovely thing and it'll look great on shelves, but 
hopefully with with um, well with Elsewhere with other books, the main point of them still is to read them. Yes, it's lovely if they look. It's a bit like as you see records now. Um, uh, you, there's a couple of examples in the picture that you see to accompany the uh, podcast. But they'll look lovely things, and that's great. But the music still has to be something you want to listen to, and the stuff inside. I feel sorry for the people that maybe put off buying Alistair's collected short stories by the sheer size of this thing. It's terrifying. Um, and yet the stuff inside is just fantastic. Um, I think that's something to think about. Yeah. You can make things a lovely thing, but it has to still be able to be workable. Yeah. And the whole point of things like Kindles and things like that is they're supposed to be, you know, more accessible. So don't make something I don't think, which is unaccessible or more difficult to use I think absolutely that's typical Alistair Gray I suppose <laughs> probably yeah. why he, he likes it so much I think he's very proud of it as he should be it just seems to me it's a couple of volumes would have been a better yeah. thing but this way you could probably have like, worked them into the mural that Phil had yeah just, well, exactly if you want to read my short stories make the pilgrimage and you know I think he likes the idea of all these people being weighed down literally yeah. by his book as they walk around Glasgow so um well, let's start talking about books since we are, yeah. <laughs> since we have. Um, I think this has been, well, I'll, I'll talk about uh, Scottish stuff because I think it's been a phenomenal year for Scottish um, writing. Just a few examples, um, Ewan Morrison's Tales from the Mall, which was an amazing um, collection, I'm going to say collection of short stories, but of course it's much, much more than that. Yeah. Um, essays, uh true um, tales or at least maybe urban myths would be a better way told and it's it's a proper it's a, it's a, if you want fiction to go in a different direction then this is one of the ways that I think you can do it and you've talked about David Foster Wallace here's someone else who, who does that who who, who um, isn't that happy with the f- old ways of telling stories uh, and has tried to make it something different for uh for a different age. Something disruptive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something disruptive. Which, you know, is not very unlike you and Morris. You know, they try <laughs> disrupt. Uh, it depends what mood he's in. Yeah. Um, and another a couple which I have to mention by big hitting Scottish writers that came out this year. One was um, Irvin Welsh's Sky Boys, which was the prequel to Train Spotting. And um, we spoke about it at length with. Uh, Alan Bissett, I I think it's the equal. I still think it's the equal, if not better than Train Spotting. And yes, I, I in hindsight I maybe went over the top in my praise at the time, but I still I, I was just so excited that another Welsh book was hitting that kind of form. I don't know. Did you get to read it? I didn't get to read it again. I casually <laughs> of Infinite Chest. Pretty much, if anything came out since the summer, there's a good chance. Okay. I, there's a good chance I haven't read it. Um, other than elsewhere, elsewhere was my kind of uh, was my break from from Infinite Chest, uh, and that and the other kind of new thing again, tenuously Scottish, but it's a point that is a claim that I've made on the podcast before. Nothing David wrong. David David Burns' book, uh, How oh, Music yeah, well, Works, how is that? Yeah, yeah. It's very good. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean. I'm, I'm speaking as someone who obviously is, is very heavily into music but hasn't really done anything with music theory since since I did my higher music in high school so mm-hmm. um, you're talking a good like nine ten years at this point and uh, yeah you know it was just fascinating to kind of it's it's not really a memoir or a biography it's, it's a, an interested fan you know uh, is the perspective that it's written from and it definitely drops in there's loads of like 
I don't know if you'd say revelatory because I'm sure if you're a fan of Talking Heads or any of his solo stuff, it's, it's probably something that you know already. But um, a lot of you know interesting kind of studio stuff, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the business angle of him managing Lou Bop and what have you, and um, yeah, that, no, just uh, some really interesting stuff about the kind of the the, the African and uh, influences on Talking Heads as they went on and. Um, his quest to kind of tap into the groove, as he as he calls it, you know, um, which is a bit mighty bush esque, you know, if you, if you want to be uncharitable, you know, looking for the funk, the funk, um, yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's it's really interesting, uh, and again, a really good. I would say if anybody's ever kind of had a hard time getting into kind of um, Afro pop or uh, any kind of Latin American stuff, or has maybe wondered what it is that David Byrne sees in it and why he keeps trying to foist it on the public yeah. you know releases releases compilations incorporates you know all these kind of influences in his own music then it's it's a really good insight into that into uh, maybe hearing it with different ears if it's something that you haven't been able to to connect with before so it's become so. like kind of Andy Kershaw with the restraining order yeah right? something like that yeah but it's very you know it's very lucid it's very simply written you know not to say that it's, it's poorly written but it's very straightforward there's nothing compl- there's no difficult concepts to grasp mm-hmm. it's all very user friendly if you like um, and yeah just it's just a really it's a fascinating read and I know you went to his uh, live event that, yeah. uh, he, he, that Nicola Main um, hosted are you going to talk yeah. about that later? Uh, no, we can talk about it now. Well, might, like. so since you're on the yeah. David Byrne thing yeah. let's talk no, about he, it he, um, he sat down with uh as Alex said, Nicola Mahan, who who was on with us when we were talking about the greatest Scottish albums, and uh, and Alan Woodward, former Delgado and current label head at Chemical Underground, and mm-hmm. what he, what he wanted to do, he said, as he was touring around on his book tour, going to various cities, was tailor every city event to something specifically to do with that city and base it around a different aspect of the book. So with Glasgow, because Chemical Underground is based here and they have that kind of connection he wanted to talk about the business side of things because that's, you know, there's a couple of chapters in his book about the way the business has changed, the way, you know, talking about the decline of record shops and uh, the rise of digital and uh, even going into, he, he breaks down as a case study, you know, how much of, his, like, what portion of his advance for one of his records went where, you know, mm-hmm. he breaks, it breaks it down in a pie chart, shows you how much he actually got out of his money for that oh, record. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I can imagine the audience are going, this is what yeah. we want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... At, at that event, you know, they, that's what they talked about. They talked about as as label heads, you know, as as Byrne being head of Luca Bop and um, and Alan Woodward being head of Chemical Underground. They were talking about the difficulty of keeping an independent label afloat in, you know, with the record industry being the way it is just now. And they were, they were mid flow, and the guy in the front row just said, "Guys, sorry, sorry." Just didn't wait for a breaking conversation and just interrupted them, shouted out. And I think everybody, I certainly assumed that he was going to say, oh, your mics have cut out or we're having trouble hearing you or something. And, and instead, <laughs> yeah, and instead said, um, yeah, I didn't come here to hear Alan talk about trying to keep Chemical Underground afloat. I came here to hear David talk about his book. And, oh, you could just feel everybody in the room, like, freeze up and tense up. And, oh, it was just a... Was, yeah. See, that, I, mean, I, I imagine that person wasn't actually Scots because Scots tend to not do those yeah, things. Yeah. Like, it, oh. it reminded me of like um, Michael Palin spoke at the concert hall a few years back about his, his Monty Python diaries. And so somebody um, shouted, tell us a joke. No, somebody shouted <laughs> during the Q&A part. At least they didn't interrupt him mid-flow this time. But uh, somebody during the Q&A stood up and said, I came here to hear you talk about your travels. 
you've got a member of Monty Python plugging a book about Monty Python and you're like no tell me about that time you were in Borneo (laughs) well there is no pleasing all of the people all of the time so uh, David Byrne you're man of the year oh yeah I think so well between (laughs) man of every year man of every year yeah I think I can say that between that and um, his album I mean if if we're doing 10 years links to Scottishness we might as well put in the album he put out with St Vincent we'll talk about we've got music to come we do have music to come but uh, just a a portent a portent of that that's a good good one that's a good shout actually I didn't realise that Um, well since you haven't read many uh, of the books I'll just go for it and and talk about a few other favourites of mine from the year the other big hitter I was going to mention uh, was Alan Warner's The Dead Man's Pedal Um, I'm going to be doing a, a, a list of my kind of top five or whatever books on the site soon but Another phenomenal uh, book. I, I just love the Dead Man's Pedal. It, it's you know a book's good when it sticks with you. When you you know later on, I, think it's, I can't remember when I read it. it was early, early on in the year, but it stuck with me through it, and I want to go back and read it again. And that's always a great sign. Um, a Louise Welsh, it's uh, the girl on the stairs, which she spoke about. Uh, I think at Margins this year. She did. She read an extract from it. It sounded very promising. It's oh, it's 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 a real chiller. Yeah. <laughs> I was there's a couple of people that, you know we're going to talk about. That. I do worry about them. I don't know Louise. I don't worry about it at all. But my word, you know, when she gets going, um, there's some fantastic visceral um, stuff uh, going on. In um, it's set in Berlin. It's got a real cinematic feel to it, and not just because there's the the red coat and the you know the kind of don't look now feel about it. There's all sorts of films. There's a Rosemary's Baby reference. There's I mean it's a I can see somebody making a, um, a something from that. Talking of which, a books which I think somebody is making something from is Doug Johnson's Hit and Run. So I heard. Yeah. Which is uh, which came out early early in the year and a is one if I think we said at the time quickest book I think you'll ever read he is obsessed with just trimming trimming his sentences so there is no fat and you just like a car with no brakes you just go straight through it and then suddenly you're like oh wow what just happened there it's a a mugging of a book you don't realise you know (laughs) and it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do with that definitely Um, there was a couple of great uh, um, short collections from Valve um, and from Octavius, from Sam Best's Octavius, which are real, really high quality. I'm not just saying that, they were incredibly high quality. Um, often with some of the same writers, but it shows you that above, we'll talk about the big hitters like Kelman and Warner and both Welshes, if you like, um, uh, and Ali Smith, actually, who we'll talk about in a second. But there's a, there's a really good, strong next generation or next level or underneath. There's a really fantastic level of writing going on at Scotland uh, all across the way, which actually I'll let me finish with two, I think, debut novelists. One was from January, way back in January, and it was a recommendation of uh, Alan Bissett's, and it's The Roost by Neil Butler, which is kind of like... Uh, what's it like? It's like... Um, Oh God, I've gone again. American Psycho. Brett Easton Ellis. Ellis, if he had written a kind of a school drama in a, the West Coast Islands of Scotland, you know, kind of Shetland. It's, okay. it's, it really is like that. It's full sex and drugs and rock and roll yeah. um, on Shetland. It's a terrific, okay. uh, it's a really terrific read. Um, I would say it's a great kind of teenager's read, but it's a while since I've read it. It might not be a great for them, I'm not sure. But they'll be getting up to it even if they're not reading it. I'm sure about that. 
Another one is, which I'm reading at the moment and I haven't finished, and people have been recommending it all year, and it's The Panopticon by Jenny Fagan, and uh, I'm halfway through it and I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, it's a tremendous, uh, again, a, a, a dealing with um, the problems of some younger folk, but um, it will appeal to anyone who's, who's, who's ever actually been young, and I think that's all of us, with a few exceptions. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my roundup of Scottish books. There are many, many more things to be said. One final thing, I just read Ali Smith's Artful, which isn't exactly fiction. It's um, basically four uh, lectures that she gave to Oxford University, but they're done as pieces of fiction. And for anyone interested in writing, in the process of writing or the process of any kind of art, they are a must uh, read. It's a must read. Ali Smith's Artful, it's, uh, it just, well, when you read something you think yes that's what I think you always think it's great and that's kind of uh, Ali Smith my woman of the year I would say excellent um, well let's go on to something which you do uh, I have been seeing a lot of and that's film yes uh, film has really become it's been film's I your main thing these days yeah, isn't it yeah it is it really is I mean just because it's working anti-social hours is kind of it's the easiest thing for me to access because it's something that I can do on my own I don't have to wait for anybody else to be able to go you know it's always really awkward going to a gig by yourself because you're just, like, standing about between bands just like looking uh, <laughs> looking awkward about yeah. drinking what you're saying the like, dark like, makes yeah, film exactly. <laughs> oh, you're in, you're, something about being seated just seems I agree I never, I never got this idea of having um, to go in a group to film yeah. you, know, you know you can't if you talk to me during a film yeah. like, I'll be moving yeah exactly but I mean not just even going to the cinema I mean uh, like home viewings improve so much just with I mean, I'm a big advocate of Blu-ray now as well because it really it captures the kind of the grain of the film so it's a much okay. more accurate representation of the look of, of celluloid than DVD ever was or whatever so uh, from, from that whole kind of spotty technical aspect as well it's just spotty it's, yeah spotty if you like it's, it's much uh, it's just the easiest thing for me to do because rather than you know obviously books are more time consuming with a film I can just I can stick it on for two hours after I come in from a shift and, and it's done yep. uh, so I, I've been getting through a lot of them this year but um, yeah I've, I don't know if I've seen that much Scottish stuff this well, year well um, I, 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 let me put a couple forward and see if you've seen them did you see The Angel's Share? I didn't I have uh, I don't actually I've got to the point with Ken Loach where I don't like actively him. seek out Ken Loach well that's the thing I, I will still I'll watch it. I'll, it's on. My, it's on my love film list. Ah, it just hasn't come yet. Well, um, that's an interesting thing. Why did you stop? Why did you fall out, uh, out of love with well, Ken? I feel like the last because I kind of understand. Yeah, the last film of his that I, I really liked was Sweet Sixteen. I think, which mm -hmm. was a full decade ago at this point. Oh God, and yeah, um, I just feel like him and. I don't, I don't know if like, it's working with Paul Laverty or something but it's, the two of them working together they mean well it's the kind of thing where I oh totally God, agree with their politics okay. I totally agree with like everything that they're trying to achieve but they just they're so hectoring and mm. they seem to like they sacrifice like the momentum of their films and the, the kind of the drama of their films to just to make a point you know um, I understand like even something like The Wind That Shakes the Barley which was very you know very acclaimed won the Palme d'Or at mm. Cannes what have you it stops like halfway through for a 15 minute lecture about republicanism and it they have a tendency to um, oversimplify and um, you know like make points with you know have characters appear just to make a point you know uh, like a political point that they want to make and I, I get it that it's kind of agitprop and what have you and but 
they just don't really work as films. You know, they're, they're I kind of agree with you, and I think with the Angels Share, they tried to. I mean, there's a lightness, which, but it just doesn't work. It ends up becoming two different films. I mean, you think of my. I think my probably my favorite uh, Lucha film is Kez. Yeah, and that's because he doesn't have to lecture you see it it's all there in the performances and in the where it's set and how it's done that's telling you the story you don't have to say well you know well here's the court and here's how it works and you know and isn't this and I think that's the problem with uh, the intro I actually quite enjoyed it I have to say um, but I think the problem is my my expectations have fallen from what I expected from Ken Wilkes and that's a shame it's Woody Allen syndrome it's a, it is a bit Woody Allen syndrome yeah yeah and I hope you know both of them will come back and, and, and prove us you know both um, both wrongs but which, Woody Allen's film from this year wasn't bad like from Rome with Love I, I actually saw and uh, I actually uh, liked Midnight in Paris which was yeah. before so maybe um, uh, he'll follow okay. Woody yeah, it's, it's slight from Rome with Love yeah, but yeah. it's it works more than it doesn't work. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe they're yeah. trying to do two things. They're trying to make a kind of light, a kind of Gregory's Girl-esque comedy. Um, and then they also want to do My Name is Joe. Yeah. Um, another great film, I think, My Name is Joe. And it, it, does, it just doesn't stick. You know, when they're going up, there are bits which, you know, they've got the Proclaimers playing and they've got the Iron Brew bottles and they've got the kilts and the... And I understand, you know, it's just, maybe it's the kind of inward cringe, and you think, oh God, really, again? And th- and there are some good bits in it, but it's just, it just becomes neither one thing or the other. That's yeah. the problem with it. So, you you were maybe right not to have seen yeah. it. I, mean, I still think it's worth seeing. I yeah, mean, I, I think will you see could, it. Yeah. It's just, uh, like I say, it just it hasn't come through on my rental list yet, but it's the way it's been for... I, don't, I think The Wind That Shakes the Barley was the last Ken Loach film that I actually saw in cinemas mm-hmm. and since then it's just been the kind of thing where you know I, I'm not going to go out of my way to see it anymore if, if it's on TV or if I can rent it or whatever fine I'll watch it like, I, th- I think I've seen everything he's made since then Yeah. but uh, not I haven't been in a rush to see any of them is, yeah. is the way I'd put it I don't think he needs to do this you know try and make it light I think he can yeah. do it and, and I say just don't tell us about the, if people are interested in something like The Wind That Shakes the Barley they'll go and look into the background of it you don't have to tell us it on screen yeah. who are we to Hector Kenwich but we are so well, there you are you know people seem to love the Angel Share though I mean my brother who doesn't he's not yeah, maybe like we, maybe in, in a film on like any kind of critical level or anything like that you know but he, he's 19 and he film? loved I it I seem to be contradicting myself I think what it is it's a good film but if people know all of Ken Loach's work, they expect more. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. Uh, actually, if someone came out to see this film that had never seen anything that Ken Loach had done, if they hadn't seen My Name is Joe, if they hadn't seen Kez, you know, um, they hadn't seen Sweet 16, then they would go, actually, this is all right. Uh, I think maybe that's the problem. Yeah. Um, that, that can happen, that's obviously. I know you're a Pixar fan. I am. Brave? I liked it. Good. <laughs> yeah. So did I. I um I don't think it's absolutely top tier Pixar. I don't even think. Don't that think they they try to make it top no, tier Pixar. I um, think this was them. You know, this was their mainstream album, if you like. Yeah, you know? it was more like. Well, I think they were born in the USA. Yeah, you might say. it started out. I think as a. Um, I did it start. Was it? It started out as a Disney film, maybe just. Um, 
Or it was it was a it was a director who isn't from the Pixar stable. I think it started you know uh, Disney you know Disney bought out Pixar and now John Lasseter mm-hmm. runs Disney's animation department as well. So they're kind of there's a more kind of intermingling between the two. And I think this was a product of that. Um, and it is definitely the most traditionally Disney film I think that Pixar have ever made in terms of its, its I think that's its, it. its root a princess story. Mm-hmm. You know which Disney has always traditionally done yeah, very well. I agree. And it's definitely. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say radical, but it's definitely more of an upending of that, that kind of whole Disney princess thing than anything that they've done before in that... She doesn't really not, need to be rescued. She's no, the one doing the rescue. Exactly, and she's not... She's actively, like, not Running seeking her. a prince. You know, yeah. she, she's trying to get away from that. Yeah. Uh, and it's not about, you know, a, a princess finding a prince. It's about a princess reconciling with her mother. It's about the, the, the relationship fashion, between mums yeah. and daughters, and I think some people have overlooked that. I think yeah. that's uh, and takes, an interesting thing in I, I don't know if we're able to talk about the turn it takes to have. I assume everybody who wants to see Brave will have seen it by this point. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? If you haven't, then pause this yeah. and go about 10 sec- oh, 20 seconds yeah. ahead. But it takes a really weird turn in the middle. I mean, I, I don't mm. know if enough people stop and think about this, her mum gets turned into a bear. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's not where you would expect this story no, to go. When you start watching this film, you know, her mum gets turned into a bear, and one and that has, there's every chance is going to kill her. I yeah. mean, it's the real. It, the Greeks couldn't have come no, up with this. Exactly, it it takes a turn as they say. It does, you know, yeah. um, which I wasn't really expecting. When I went <laughs> <in there. laughs> it wasn't really, um, and it. it it's an it's an odd turn and it's a, a risk to take it's that, a hell to, of a risk to, to, to take. expect an audience to, to follow you with that and I, I, I still think a very brave risk that I don't think it got enough credit for in some quarters. I think a lot of people just dismissed it as you know, I okay, but if you stop back and get some distance from that, that is a, like you're going out on a limb with that. I think that, that's that an right. audience is going to stick with you. Um, and it's very. I mean, it looks gorgeous. It does. It it's it, 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 uh, some scenes are are almost better when the. the one of the bears is fishing, if you like. Yeah. And that's almost better than, yeah. you know, the best film work. It's amazingly, really... beautifully done, and which you would expect from yeah. Pixar. And I think the problem was, for the people that maybe didn't appreciate it, they went in expecting something radical, because that's what Pixar normally yeah. do, you know, Wally, etc., etc. But if you go into it as a Disney film, it's one of the best Disney films you'll ever see, for all the reasons that you've yeah. said. I really appreciate as well that, considering it... You know, is is at the end of the day, it's been very much talked up by you know the Scottish government. And they've t- you know they've roped in the tourist board and what have you. Oh, it was um, really yeah, sold, wasn't it? Was really yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, it was very respectful of Scotland. I thought it wasn't just a kind of you know, I should say with Ken Loach, even it wasn't the Iron Brew in Tartan. You know, no, they, didn't, no, exactly. they didn't really play that up. They kind of they went deeper into. But it wasn't bagpipes, and it, it wasn't, wasn't no. Tartan. It there wasn't Wagadoon. Although there were bagpipes in Tartan in it, it wasn't in the yeah, traditional. So, it, it wasn't in the no, but it wasn't exploited. They didn't they didn't make a big deal. There wasn't massive comic set pieces made about kills and bagpipes no. and stuff. You know, it was much more. There was the a mysticism. There was a yeah. Kind of, you the know. closest they came to that was the the three ginger triplets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they didn't play off stereotypical Scottishness. It was just a kind of setting for it and I thought that was reflected by you know an almost entirely Scottish voice cast I mean the only non-Scot was really Julie Walters who played the the witch and John Ratzenberger oh John Ratzenberger (laughs) who has to be in it it. but um, you know and encouraging them to to improvise and give them suggestions for Scottish terms and what have you you know with Kevin McKidd doing his Doric thing for the um, conference yeah and um, you know and so it doesn't sound 
like it's been written by people who don't you know it, it feels like a collaborative thing it feels yeah. like a product of Scotland even though it's obviously Pixar is an American company if there's something there's an understanding yeah about an it. understanding that's the way of putting it um, and yeah I, I thought it was yeah it couldn't have turned out much better in that respect I didn't think well I had recently I don't know how true this is that the original princess was going to be Reese Witherspoon and then she couldn't do it apparently and so they gave thank god yeah nothing against Miss Witherspoon but um, they gave it to Kelly MacDonald who's terrific in it and it is I don't know how much money they spent on animating the hair but all I know is uh, my friend's little girl who has as a redhead was her head was high the next day (laughs) after she'd been to see it it's a real um, hero I think for a a lot of uh, I'll say redheads around about Scotland but um, did you hear Kelman's protestations about it? no I didn't it wasn't wasn't specifically it wasn't specifically about it he was just like I haven't um, seen it but it was because it's a story about the gentry about the landed gentry about the rulers it's about the kings and queens it's not a story of the people was was Kelman's objection not many um, princess stories Stories no. are of the people. Um, not. He said, "It's fine. It's hack work, <laughs> or whatever was it was his explanation for it." I think but, you know, James Kelman yeah. probably isn't their, their target audience. least he didn't swear. It, that's true. You know, that would have been inappropriate. That would have been inappropriate. <laughs> so uh, I'll talk about another couple of Scottish films uh, I mean, that I saw um, around about the festival time. But uh, what have you been seeing? I've been seeing well um, I think a huge list no doubt but let's keep it manageable (laughs) right well my my absolute favourite film of the year is uh, The Master the new Paul Thomas Anderson film which has met with for me anyway a surprisingly mixed reception Um, it seems to me I haven't seen it yet um, and I'm, but I'm a big fan of his. I don't yeah. think he's made a even in the stuff which hasn't been brilliant. I think you know I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, he and it is surprising to me that this is, has so divided people. Yeah. But I think that can be that can only be a good thing. I think so. Well, it's it's not even to me that it's divided people. It's that uh, there's been a lot of muted response to it. A lot of ah. So uh, you think it should were, have divided people? Yeah. Well, strong opinions. It's the kind of film that I think that like if you don't get on its wavelength, then it just goes out of its way to antagonise you further, you know, and prod you into disliking it even more. Um, it feels like. I'm generally against this like it's the way that things have gone you know with the kind of internet dialogues and stuff you know oh, you either hate if you don't think this is amazing then you must hate it and generally I'm against that with you know conversations about film but with this it really feels like I, I'm not sure if people aren't fully on board with it like what they get out of it at all because right, okay. it seems that like you either buy into it wholeheartedly like a cult yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Uh, or or you know there's just nothing no, there nothing for you. there for you I know that Aiden Moffat wasn't a fan so mm-hmm. I'm expressing distaste with it on Twitter because it's not there aren't really many characters that you can empathise with mm-hmm. you know they're all generally horrible people there's not much of a plot to speak of it's fairly open ended uh, and it's more of a kind of character study uh, of two men uh, and it kind of drifts through it but so that's kind of what Paul Thomas Anderson exactly, does yeah you know the, there will be blood and uh, boogie nights boogie nights and all that I mean yeah. you know okay you can kind of find uh, Donny Wahlberg Don, Donny Mark Wahlberg Mark Wahlberg God there's me showing my yeah. new kids in the block yeah. hey, Mark Wahlberg's character kind of endearing but he's a yeah. bit of an idiot yeah. in fact he's a bit of an idiot he is an yeah. idiot um, so he, that's kind of what he does and it is all about the relationship between often yeah. men that's the thing yeah and um, it's not big in plot no it's not and it's like even less so I think than There Will Be Blood uh Although that said, I think it's the film of his that's the least radical departure from what he made before, because all his films before that have kind of shown 
like a, either a massive leap forward in technical ability or confidence behind the camera or just in terms of the stories that they're covering you know after Boogie Nights he went for Magnolia which threw this whole operatic thing at it with frogs falling from the sky and That's characters right. singing along Amy Mann in unison and all these big kind of gimmicky things after that he went to Punch Drunk Love which went the opposite way and was this very insular character study with all these discordant elements and uh then after that it goes to There Will Be Blood which is you know an American epic uh, yeah it feels like I, I mean no, he hasn't announced what he's doing next nobody has any idea what's coming up but it feels like uh, the master is very much of a piece with uh, There Will Be Blood in maybe chronicling the American 20th century you know like, uh, There Will Be Blood goes up to I think the 30s uh, in the end when it flashes forward to yep. um you know, to, to Daniel Plainview alone in the mansion that oil built or whatever you however you want to refer to it, completely isolated and a, and a monster. Um, and the master picks up immediately post World War Two with Joaquin Phoenix having been uh, released from the navy and uh, just kind of drifting through, you know, America in the fifties, mm-hmm. looking you know directionless, purposeless, looking for something and stumbling into the kind of the um, the realm of, of Philip Seymour Hoffman and his. Uh, his religion if you like which is obviously as everybody I'm sure is aware is inspired by uh, the founding of Scientology mm-hmm. and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is based in part on L. Ron Hubbard but is defiantly not like an expose of Scientology it's just it's there if you want it but it's not about that at all it's much more about their relationship and it's, it just looks and sounds and feels like like there's nobody else making films out there just yeah. like Paul Thomas Anderson you know it's a style that is probably unfashionable like it, he feels he's reached the point now he was very much indebted to like Scorsese and Robert Altman I was going to say it always seems to me like a 70s influence vibe it feels like he's gone even scope. it feels like he's gone even further back now and now you're talking like John Huston oh, okay. is, wow. is the kind of peers of this I think he's very there's a, a documentary that John Huston made called Let There Be Light about um, soldiers going through post-traumatic stress after after World War Two. Uh, and apparently that was a big influence on, on Anderson when he was making this and it's I, you can get it for free online it's legal you know if you google it google let there be like John Houston it will bring it up on the National Archives I think in America Fantastic. you can stream it you can download it it's great really definitely worth a look and will probably illuminate the master a lot um, in terms of the visual style uh, but yeah no. so that was that was definitely my film of the year okay well let's have another one for you before because Ronnie uh, Young uh, Dr Young uh, Dr Books has been in touch and actually about film so um, we'll another one from you and then I'll get round to Ronnie's email right. and see what you think about that because I think there's a lot of stuff here okay. that will uh, be interesting okay <laughs> as last year as I last year I think like Ronnie likes to uh, prod you yeah. with the sticks um, well the other one then my other favourite of the year was uh, actually um, PT's namesake uh, Wes Anderson The Moonrise Kingdom which, which I haven't seen is again <laughs> just astonishingly beautiful yeah, I think it's maybe, it's, maybe his best Christmas. film like oh, it's wow. just absolutely if not his best it is on a par with Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums it is just it's astonishing and it really irritates me when people dismiss Wes Anderson as slight or quirky or <laughs> you know twee all this kind of stuff and just lump him in with either his imitators or some kind of overwhelming, you know, twee indie aesthetic or something, you know, Zoe Deschanel, all lumping all that kind of stuff together. Um, Because this is a guy, if it wasn't clear before, it's clear watching Moonrise Kingdom now. This is a guy who's in the lineage of like Michael Powell (laughs) and Francois Truffaut and other people who don't make, you know, heavy 
depressing films, but that Visually doesn't diminish their artistry yeah, yeah, yeah. in any way. Um, really taps into a beautiful kind of, you know, I, I think what it is, and after seeing this, it occurred to me that like Wes Anderson's entire career has been pretty much an attempt to translate the tone of Peanuts <laughs> to the extreme. <laughs> you know, wow. this really finely tuned balance act between deadpan comedy yeah. and just really heartbreaking melancholy often and existential amongst, yeah, problems yeah. often amongst like stunted you know uh, if, if either children in this case or you know adults with stunted development, development you know yeah. stuck in their adolescence or whatever or adolescent mindsets and uh, it, it just pulls off beautifully here I mean absolutely I mean it's stunning to look at but the, um, the cat's beautifully acted as well the kids are amazing um and just yeah everything about it works you know it's just one of these films where every element is in complete harmony with every other element okay. and it's just it was yeah it was far I, until I saw The Master it was far and away the best thing I've seen this year and uh, I didn't think anything would top it and I was very much happily surprised to see that The Master did but it's yeah it's, it's absolutely one of his very if not his very best very things. best well that's something I was, I was definitely going to get for, for, uh, for actually I've just spoiled it Maybe I'll get it for myself at Christmas time now, okay? If anyone's listening. Anyway, so let's get to what uh, Ronnie Young has been saying. Okay. And this is on uh, his roundup of the year's best blockbusters. For number one, award for Ben Affleck not being annoying for a change goes to Argo. Didn't see it. Haven't okay, it. okay. Yeah, well, he says the Affleck kid did all right directing and starring in this true and truly bizarre story of the 1970s Iran hostage crisis. Funny despite the subject matter, gripping despite the thriller cliches, and also gets the award for the best line, Argo, fuck yourself. Oh, I've done that wrong, Argo, fuck yourself. Yeah. Oh, oh see what dear, did see what you did there. Anyway, I haven't seen it either. Okay. Best three films welded together to make one film, Looper. Yes. A movie Looper. that charts the rise of an underworld hitman, modulates into a fugitive flick, then ends as God knows what, but it's somehow all has something to do with Bruce Willis and time travel. Mm. Also gets the award for creepiest kid of the year. Yes. Oh, Looper was brilliant. Looper's in my top ten of the year. Okay. Absolutely fantastic piece of. That's what, like, that's what that's, that's the kind of thing Hollywood should be doing on a regular basis. That is what a sci-fi film should be, like that's, a, that's a good a, sci-fi yeah. action film, rather than just like a parade of, of spectacle with none behind it. That is a film that. In twenty years' time, people will feel comfortable mentioning in the same breath as like Blade Runner and Twelve. Oh, Monkeys. really? Okay. So well, really, that's another one I'm looking forward it's to seeing. Fantastic! It's Ryan Johnson who made uh, Brick. Yeah, yeah, and, love, um, love. Brick. Yeah, which is fantastic, and The Brothers Bloom, which is very underrated as oh, well. Yes. His um, kind of con man movie yeah, with Mark yeah, Ruffalo yeah. and Adrian Brody and Rachel Weisz. Um, and yeah, I think again, this is probably the best thing he's done to date. Just every one of the most purely satisfying films I've seen this year. And I actually think when people look back on Bruce, Bruce Willis's uh, career, they will see quite a decent film. Oh yeah, career, you know Absolutely. some really good stuff. We're talking about it's um, in Moonrise Kingdom as well. Oh, is he? Yeah, oh, there you go. I've always enjoyed right from Moonlighting. Enjoyed the work of Bruce, even if I did have uh, um, Return of Bruno his album. Yeah. Um, me and Nalan visit and I do a coffee each so here we're talking about spectacle that yes. maybe has nothing in it I, I Number, know where this is going, you know where this is going. Um, best superhero movie with Thor in it that Chris doesn't like <laughs> Avengers Assemble <laughs> Joss Whedon successfully polishes a hulking <clears throat> turd of an idea and does it so well that you'd be proud to display this on your DVD shelf next to your still shrink wrap box sets of Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead unless you're Chris that is and I don't know what that that's kind of that is space 
Emoticon. That's a tongue sticking out. (laughs) Okay. Uh, There you go. To denote that he's being cheeky. Uh, Yeah, listen, you know, I I can't really... There's nothing I can say that can damage the Avengers at this point. What did you think about it though? Because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it fine, but it was the kind of film I started forgetting about by the time I came out of it. And it's not even a thing against superhero films. I still think that like... Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, the first two at least, are tremendous. Yeah, they're like two of the best blockbusters of the past 15, 20 years. Um, so it's not, I, I don't, it's not a thing about disliking superheroes. I like the Nolan Batman films. Yeah. Um, and yeah. My problem with Avengers, now I'm a huge Avengers, you know, from a kid, I think I've said this before, but my first ever Halloween co- costume was uh, Captain America with the cardboard <laughs> shield and everything. Um, so I'm right there for it my problem with it is it's just become a bit assembly line the whole thing that the way that they're doing it that's exactly and, my problem with and it. they were this was based on Mark Miller's Ultimates almost to a T and when Mark Miller did the Ultimate comic books you know Nick Fury was Sam Jackson such and such they were almost casting it okay it was maybe Brad Pitt instead of Chris you know but you could see these characters and that's that's my problem with it it's just become to assembly line and it kind of takes the soul out of it they all do what they do really well I think it's well cast I think it's well shot I think Joss Sweden does this kind of stuff really well but it's just by numbers a little it's bit exactly it is. I feel like any kind of personality of the filmmakers involved is just kind of subsumed into the Marvel brand with all these kind of things you know starting from Iron Man and going through you know all the individual films that have led up to this it just feels like I mean, there's there's little touches here and there. Obviously, like Whedon's dialogue kind of sets him apart from a lot of the other ones, but because uh, it's you know it's that kind of instantly recognisable, snappy, you know, pop culture reference and what have you. But it just it feels like it's this one overarching aesthetic, you know, of of Marvel brand. They don't want anything disrupting that because it's been proven to make money, you know. And there's all these other branding opportunities that come out of it. And it's too big a thing to let any one person muck with that yeah 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 and uh, it just feels like any kind of personality or soul just dis- disappears yeah, from yeah. it I mean it's a totally technically you can't fault it it's a very competently put together blockbuster but I, I just there, there's no heart there <laughs> you know yeah. it's just it's a spectacle and that's it. And I gotta say this is the year that I kind of realised and maybe was alright with coming to terms with the fact that I, I'm just not sure that I like Joss Whedon that much no. like, I think he's one of these guys who love to see him do well I think his heart's definitely in the right place and he has God bless him has tons of fans who are probably calling for my head even as I say this but it wasn't as taken with Cabin in the Woods either as a lot of people seem mm. to be which obviously he didn't direct like yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a similar kind of problem so this is a year where you're really kind of losing faith in a lot of these people they're honing <laughs> yeah. down and by the but end the, of it yeah. you'll just be watching Anderson movies and whether <laughs> yeah. like Wes or otherwise or otherwise <laughs> or PT no that's, I mean like I, I saw plenty of like mainstream stuff that I liked this year you know plenty of um, of good blockbusters I just didn't think that the Avengers was one of the best well here we go number four is best superhero movie that doesn't have Thor in it thank Christ yeah thank Chris no thank Christ The Dark Knight Rises of course we all admired Anne Hathaway's skin tight leather acting talent and the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt nearly turned out to be Robin but what could top the final part of Nolan's Batman trilogy more than an arch villain who spends the whole movie snugging some kind of face hugging crab thing small wonder no one could make it a word Bane was saying I, didn't, I haven't seen this yet. It's terrible admission. I haven't That's seen it. very good. Uh, Al Murray did a brilliant uh, uh, thing off it. But, uh, <laughs> so, that might Yeah, it's good. Uh, I, again, I, I don't know that the, the Nolan 
Batman films hold up as well at a rewatch as they do. I think like the I didn't really like Batman, the first one. I like both of them. Uh, I, I haven't watched really the. Like I haven't watched. Uh, I don't for no reason. I think just haven't got around to. It. I haven't watched the second one since I went to see it in the cinema. Yeah, I think like um, they make? they have great initial impact, and then uh, the more I rewatch them, the kind of the less. I, 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 they're not my favorite. They're my least favorite Nolan films. Maybe that's though, what blockbusters, in a way, should be doing. Yeah, you know, you have a big impact. Yeah, and you know, uh, and then you know, you, you, you've go out and you really do, you go out and talk about something else. Yeah. Whereas the really involved movies, you can't go out and talk about something else because you just want to talk about yeah. that film. I think like Nolan at his best gives you plenty to talk about as yeah, well, yeah. and plenty to go back and rewatch films like The Prestige or even yeah, Inception. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Batman films again. Even the, I, the I second like, one, I remember going out yeah. and really having it. Yeah. Again, I like them and they're, uh, they're very well put together. And um, as far as like mainstream, you know, big Hollywood filmmaking goes, he's one of the absolute best that are out there just now. But um, I don't know the Dark Knight Rises. It just kind of felt like there was a lot going on in it. You know, um, it was good. I still enjoyed it. Uh, I definitely liked it more than the Avengers, but uh, it, it was very busy. <laughs> you know, there was, there was it didn't feel like it had the kind of the same kind of tight focus as the Dark Knight has where you have the Joker just ploughing his way through everything it kind of felt like it went off in loads of different directions at once and there was a lot to try and cover and stuff in it just to, to tie everything up um, but no it was still a very well put together film some some of the stuff in it's astonishing and I saw it in IMAX which is you know pretty overwhelming well, as well. we'll come back to Ronnie's email later when we're talking about because he's, he's talked a little bit about music but just to almost finish this off talking film let's talk about another blockbuster blockbuster that maybe did more than uh, too much or attempted too much and that was Prometheus oh yeah um, which I did see uh-huh. and um, well I kind of yeah it, it, I came I came away confused about how I felt about it and yeah. that's I don't think that's a good thing yeah. what did you feel about Prometheus I liked it more than a lot of people seem to have liked it. Yeah, um, so did I, but some I, people really yeah, hate it. Yeah, some people really hate it, and I can't really understand it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just went in with lowered expectations because I, I took. It was a few days after it came out before I saw it, and the initial reactions were toxic. Yeah, you know, okay, okay. People who went to see it on the first few days were foaming at the mouth about it, just how they'd been missold by the trailer or whatever. Or, but I don't. My expectations weren't great for it anyway because mm. I don't think Ridley Scott hasn't been on great form no uh, I think that again it's the problem was expectation yeah. I think a lot of people thought this was going to be an alien movie yeah. and it's really not it's not at all it's at a all. completely different tone uh, it's alien. actually a very complex and interesting yeah. and that was a film that you were really thinking about for some yeah. time afterwards and sometimes you couldn't come up with proper answers yeah. but um Apparently the DVD has lots of answers to some it of hurts, those questions. Yeah. But I can get my why why you know cast Guy Peels as an old man? Why I know, not use an old man? Um, unless there that. is a reason for it, which yeah. is still to come there are out. a lot of things that you could pick apart of it. I mean, it, the script's pretty poor. It's not. It's full of plot holes. There's full of. It's full of kind of well, why would characters ever behave like that in kind of moments? Uh, but. I don't know. I, I kind of ultimately looked at it as a kind of tribute to like fifties monster movies. Yeah, I think that's the okay. best way to deal with it. Where you know, it. it I think if it had stuck to that, it might have done better. Yeah. I think some of the DNA stuff and all of that kind of. Yeah. It was too weird. Oh, it was, it was really interesting, and I, I can't remember the writer. It was a, a fantasy author, I think, a sci-fi or fantasy author, put up uh, a kind of an analysis of it online quite soon after it came out. The reference, the Golden Bow, right, and uh, all the kind of um, the mythology of like the you know. The, the chest burst and stuff you know about the, uh, the wounds in the the saviour's chest and stuff like that and okay. tying in all this kind of old 
mythology that you know that's found in cultures all around the world and how it resonates with that and I'd really like to well first go back and look at the Golden Bow with that in mind but then having like read the Golden Bow with that in mind then go back and watch Prometheus again uh, and, and see what comes out of it because I think it's definitely there's no getting around it it's a flawed film but I think it's more successful than its detractors give it credit for yeah in yeah a I, lot think of ways. Right. I think first again all, it was a problem I think and I think like for once you cannot fall Ridley Scott for anything it's no. a beautiful it's absolutely gorgeous film. it's absolutely just, gorgeous even if you don't see it in 3D just his use of space in it is just is just amazing and it saw the continued rise of another definitely another man of the year which was Fassbender who yes. just seems to be do no wrong yeah. he is just phenomenal in nearly everything um, well talking about disappointing films I'm just going to finish with two Scottish films which really did kind of disappoint which came out this year actually I'm saying Ecstasy came out this year it might have come out no, it Maybe did come out this year because it was advertised yeah. in the tube station and then DVD followed very very quickly yeah. I've just written down here Blame Canada which is slightly <laughs> uh, but it was it, it's odd in that it's got the, most of the cast are Canadian it was like uh, they put the Canadian film whoever foundation put money into it and you get Christine Kirsten Crook as the kind of central heroine in it and there is a few Scottish actors in it Billy Boyd's in it but it's just odd because they do a lot of the Canadians are doing Scottish accents which are terrible accents just you know don't do it just somebody say well actually just be Canadian that's fine uh, uh, so many problems with it and it was a shame because it had the possibility to be a, a very good uh, Welsh adaptation and it really fell pretty short. What it does do is, is actually, the best scenes are the stuff which is taken straight from the story. Um, but there's so many mistakes in it, I'm not gonna, it'd be wrong at this time of year to give it a kicking. Uh, one I might well give a kicking was The Wicker Tree. Have you seen that? I have seen The Wicker <laughs> Tree. <laughs> now, this was the follow up to The Wicker Man. And um, gosh, what can we say about it? It was Robin Hardy directed it and wrote it, I think. Yeah. It was originally called Cowboys it was based for Christ. Basically, wrote a novel. Cowboys and for Christ. Based off Cowboys and it's Christ, two yeah. uh, kind of a evangelical. evangelical country singers come to Scotland and um, basically, you know, it need to be there needs to be sacrificed to get the. Yeah. In this time, it's to be pregnant. They had to get the, that, yeah. there's no children in the in the area Something and, and like oh, that, yeah. we. I mean, um, it sounds like I didn't watch it. I did watch it. Yeah. But it was just. Oh, I, yeah, I mean it's terrible well yeah but I very much enjoyed watching it but like, it's so, so bad it's, okay. well kind of but also just it's it's, it's bad shit it's crazy it's bad it's so, just, I mean in the same way that the remake the the the, um, the Wicker Man the Wicker right? Man the remake of the Wicker yeah. Man with uh with Nick, Nicholas, Nicholas Cage, Cage yeah. uh, sorry my mind's just going yeah. completely blank there Nick Cage uh, is um, worth seeing because it's yeah perhaps the maddest performance I yeah. have ever seen here they're all mad performances yeah. um, even the even the, the folk in the background are yeah. mad performances it just doesn't make any but sense see, that's the thing at least it has personality which it is does why have personality. I would probably yeah it actually has more personality than the Avengers that's what I was going to say I would probably <laughs> sooner re-watch The Wicker Tree than yeah, I, I would re-watch I kind of understand what uh, because the Avengers has many things it does not have Clive Russell wearing a Rolling Stones t-shirt and a kilt shouting where is my bowl of eyeballs yeah so uh, well I've just yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got, there's that. a quote here from uh, a review from Empire mm-hmm. and it says you'll see faces performances and scenes that you'll never see in any other movie and that was used as a positive thing yeah. on the, to promote it yeah. you read the rest of it it's like usually for good reason yeah. so they, I love the way that someone would leave that off to promote yeah. the film but it's uh 
It, you know what? I think you're right. I think everyone should see it. Anyone that's oh, ever yeah. seen The Wicker Man should see The Wicker Tree just because it's bonkers. I think it Truly does. Though, I mean, it's no time anyone go. Do you know what? I yeah. don't think this is going to work. Yeah. Well, that, see, that's the thing. I think it does still, on some level, it does still tap into that kind of air of dread uh, as it as it builds towards the end. Like, in some ways, level. it's more frightening. Than yeah. That, but yeah. just because of the people. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, it's so over the top and I kind of get the sense in places that it's not entirely accidental you know I don't think that like they set out to make a bad film but at the same time I don't think they made a film that's to be taken entirely seriously well there's there's, I just looked up what I'd written about at the time and there is a character called uh Lolly, who yes. unfortunately just has to get naked and have odd sex in nearly everywhere that she goes. In a lake with in a, a policeman. Lake, a policeman wearing yeah. something like a false yeah. head or yeah. something. It's yeah. just insanity. It's yeah. great. It's almost like a spoof. Yeah. Uh, and oh, if only it was. But let's leave um, film uh, behind us. Okay. Let's no longer speak of that. And um, we'll go on to music. Uh, at the very end of Ronnie's email, um, he says... The soundtrack uh, of his uh, year played out was um, a bit of Johnny Greenwood, which I think you're going to talk about, which you have with I you. Have you brought it with you, everyone. With me. Yeah, it's in the photo. Uh, Johnny Greenwood is actually yeah. soundtrack for The Master. Yeah. And a, he talks about Cherokee by Cat Power, and both you and yes. I have the Cat Power album. Yes. Tremendous uh, piece of work. Sun is the album. And then he also does the track 1985 from Human Don't Be Angry, which I want to talk to you about a little bit later. Uh, and many more besides, but music this year? Well, uh, I think it's been a very strong year for Scottish stuff, like uh, better than the past couple of years. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I, I think, think you're starting to see like, a good kind of new crop of bands coming through, but also the best work from, from veterans in a while as well. I thought, speaking of you, Don't Be Angry, I thought that was Middleton's best album since a brighter beat, at least. Yeah. Um, well, I when I first heard it, when I, I first heard it live when they did the, some of the live stuff, and yeah. I didn't really get it, but I think, you know, there was other things going on. Um, and then I, I bought the album and listened to it and I thought no this is fantastic yeah. work I, I don't know it's weird because he, he's claiming that it's like his kind of 80s project and 1985 is the track yeah, of course the track, which is yeah. a great track but I don't really hear it that much it just sounds kind of like Middleton like good Middleton mm-hmm. I mean it doesn't sound radically different from what he did before but if telling himself that this is him referencing the 80s is what he needs to do to make music like this then I go for it you know yeah just crank up Frankie goes to Hollywood or whatever well, you know? I, 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 I could kind of see there was some sounds and some kind of feel about it but it wasn't I mean it wasn't like he was doing a Human League tribute or anything no, like no. that it wasn't overly electronic in yeah. any way um I, it's a it's a great record. I think it's yeah. a really great one of my favourites of the of the year. Um, yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Others include well, let's talk about Paul Buchanan. It's my face. Mid air, oh, yeah. short album. It's only about I think it's less than forty minutes long. Very pared down. I think he's been one of my favourite singers. If not my favourite singer, um, and he said in an interview that he. He says that there's a few things which are better than silence. So if I'm going to spoil silence, I'm going to make sure it's as beautiful as possible. And I like that. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's a great thing. Um, did you manage to hear it at all? You? I, I did. I just heard uh, my dad's copy. I didn't actually get a copy of myself, mm. so I haven't spent a lot of time with it. But I, I liked it. It's it's beautiful late night. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that Blue Nile did so well, I think... Um, 
Uh, it's, I don't know how well it's been. I think you know the people. It's, it's actually been. It's hit a lot of the kind of magazines top fifty end of year lists and stuff, which I'm surprised about and really pleased about. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, it shows you that you don't have to just throw everything in, take it out, and that's what he's done. He's getting to the stage a bit like it's an odd comparison. The way that Doug Johnson's taken out the fat of of writing. He's taken it out, so it's just it's just this wonderful, really, it's interesting listening to very early Blue Nile stuff to see how his voice has deepened and given a real resonance and, and a few strings and pianos and, uh, you know, I don't need any more than that. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, anyone else that you've been, uh, that's had yeah, a great year well, in terms in, of releases? In terms of, uh, again, Scottish stuff, I think they, again, kind of nebulously Scottish, put out by Chemical Underground, he's based in Glasgow, but I believe uh, Julian's English himself, but mm-hmm. Meow Meow, yeah, uh, Light record, of the North, is, is my favourite Scottish or Scott-affiliated yeah. album of the year, I think, just... Again, a, a nice new direction. He's been here long enough we can claim He has been, yeah. He, he was in Maple Leaves as well, yeah. uh, briefly. Well, not briefly, but uh, he's, he's yeah. not with them anymore. Um, but for a time he was with them too. But just a good indicator of a direction that Scottish indie music could now go, like starting to incorporate more electronic it's influences. It's really and great electric music pop music. And, but at the heart of it, that's the, the key to the way it's pop music. It you know, it's, it's not just throwing electronics at it for the sake of it. It's... The melodies are amazing. Yeah, it's not fortets when no. it goes away off into. Yeah. Although the definitely influences, you know, you yeah. can hear fortet in it, you can hear craftwork in it, you can hear new order in it, but it's still. I mean, every track is. It's a very eclectic album. Every mm. track sounds like it's inspired by a different artist. Yeah. You know, like, as I say, there's the craftwork track, there's the new order track, mm. there's the fortet track. But it's always his straight through. It's always it his, works yeah, as a through line. Absolutely. It's, it's totally cohesive and, um, yeah, just. Just great! Like, I, I absolutely loved it. It was one of these albums that I kind of blind bought. I hadn't really listened to them beforehand, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, really grabbed me. And the kind of album as well, where like every time you listen to it, you have a different favorite track. Yeah, I kind of agree. It's a real yeah. grower, which yeah. one to really to live with for a while. And there's different tracks come up, and often nowadays that's not the case. You kind of listen to something and you put it aside and move on to the next thing. It's like I was saying to Dead Man's Pedal. There are certain things which come back to you throughout the year. Um, yeah. Well, talking of which, at uh, the very beginning of the year, and we had him on here, it was uh, Eugene Twist, we should mention his record, the the, the boy who had everything, the boy who had everything, um, Eugene released, I, I first heard that way back in January when he sent me a, a copy of it and thought, this is odd because this is like a very accomplished route. a lot of people send me accomplished stuff, but this had the album cover, it had the, a bit like Aaron Arctic, you know, everything arrived there. And you think, well, if people are putting out this quality of stuff themselves, then kind of something's wrong. But maybe this is a really good thing. And of course, he came and, and, and sang for us. Yes. <laughs> like we asked people to come and they sing for us, but that entertain me, entertain me. Um, and he, he chatted to us. Great, I'm a great guy as well. Yeah. But um, that remains one of my favourite um, records of the year. I thought it was. A, I, mean, I think Ian and I both agree it was a tremendous collection of songs. We've seen them do them live. We've Try to embrace them, and they don't diminish at all. Yeah, um, returning kind of what a perennial favorite for me, but again, just glad to see them keeping up the quality. It was uh, the Twilight Side, their third album this year. Uh, no one can ever know. Which, again, uh, in keeping with the Meow Meow album, incorporates quite a lot of electronic influences, but more, um, I would say, darker stuff than than Meow Meow goes for. More your kind of cabaret Voltaire, and when Wire go kind of electronic in the in the mid to late eighties as well. Um, just again c- continuing down 
the, the, the you know their own kind of furrow continuing to plow away at it. It's very much a Twilight Sad record, but very incorporates very well these kind of new sounds to their um, to their repertoire, if you like. And I think it's um, it's interesting how their records seem to be keeping pace with their live shows more than the other way right. around. Like every time they put out a new record, it's more a reflection of how their sound has changed when they play on stage. Um, and it's kind of jarring at first. It's, it's happened with the last two, Twilight, this is their third album, and with the last two records, is I listen to them at first, and I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I like where they're, they're going with yeah. this, I don't know how I feel about this, but uh, yeah, I know it kind of And then they prove you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's you know, what you want. After, 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 after a week or two with it, you know, it, it clicks, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward. They're playing the Barras uh, next Saturday, I think, with We Were Promised Jetpacks and Holy Mountain, which oh, has the potential to be Giggle an epoch-making night. Absolutely. Um, I think that's what the best artists do they kind of confine your expectations and then they prove that they were right all along yeah. um, Talking Heads has been a good example exactly of that, yeah um, we're talking to bands who are playing tonight uh, or bands who are playing the barras but they are yeah. playing tonight Olympic Swimmers are supporting Admiral Fallow Admiral Fallow had an album out as well which yeah. was a very good record um, as you would expect but um, the Olympic Swimmers album uh, No Flags is another tremendous a uh, Again, it was a little bit electronic, but it didn't push it too far. Um, it, it was a it was a nice year this year because people were making very eclectic sounds. For the last few years, I don't know if you agree, it's kind of been a lot of similar sounds. Yeah, absolutely. a lot of folk been, and a lot of strings. There's been, you know... That's been my big problem with the kind of Scottish indie scene for the past couple of years is that it's be it was beginning to sound a little bit homogenised. It was like if you, if you had, you know, acoustic instruments and, and a fiddle, <laughs> you know, then... You were, you were doing really well but I was getting a wee bit kind of tired of it well, I think the problem know. with that was it almost let that's a terrible thing to say but it maybe lessened the really good like James Yorkson's album this year uh, I Was a Cat um, is uh, a tremendous uh, uh, he he does that thing and he always has done that yeah. you know fantastically well and that will never stop there was a lot of imitators from I think it came from that whole Fence Collective scene that yeah. had become so influential that people were were attempting to do that instead of attempting to find their own sounds well it's the Wes Anderson thing again yeah. you know it's people imitating Wes Anderson instead of looking to his influences and it's the same with people imitating James Yorkson instead of looking at the people that James Yorkson looks to as influences yeah. you know and they just come off as pale imitations and less interesting and I think now a lot of those bands actually are now developing their own sounds yeah. they're actually going away and thinking well this is here's something new and that's that's fine yeah. that's great and it's, it's now you've got this um, music scene um in Scotland, which is really varied, you can you can go and see very very different things. Yeah. Most, we went to the um, Glasgow Flower Show this year that uh, uh, Flowers in the Dustbin put on, and there was a lot of great punk music, and Mummy um, Short Arms were playing. Um, very different from say going to see Olympic Swimmers and Admiral Fallow and stuff, yeah. but you know equally as, as good and interesting. Um, one of the best gigs actually when we went to the, that I went to see and two bands who also released two great albums uh, it was this year's Pinko versus iTunes that oh, they yeah. do every year and there's the three bands playing were uh, I think they were called Bad Books um, featuring I found out Scott Finnegan on bass so I met when I catered his wedding this year <laughs> how bizarre yeah, yeah. Yeah, what are you doing here okay and but they also had Cancel uh, the Astronauts and French Wives um, Cancel the Astronauts album is Animal Love Match and French Wives album can I remember it no I can't um, oh, well Dream of the Inbetweens I think something like that anyway both fantastic records um, 
and that was a gig that really showcased from, I mean you know, every song every track you were going yeah I'm loving this and when you can do that when three bands are on a couple of bands that have been about for a long time that have worked their set that have worked themselves that are just fantastic musicians and it seems to me there are bands that have been about for a while that are really coming to the percolate you know really coming to the top of their game yeah so any live recommendations or is there anything you want to particularly mention in terms of recorded stuff well recorded stuff just outside of Scotland uh, briefly my favourite album of the year just I suppose just to explain what else I was holding in the photo that's accompanying this podcast my favourite album of the year uh, outside of Scotland just my favourite album of the year full stop was uh, Until the Quiet Comes by Flying Lotus who um, is electronic musician started off uh, making kind of instrumental hip hop I suppose would be the way to put it he's um, in his Stephen Ellison is, is his actual name he's uh, lives in LA he's in his late 20s now I think he put out an album called 1983 a few years back that was his debut and right. they're very influenced by like Jay Dilla and Mad Lib and all these kind of you know instrumental hip hop producers uh, but has gradually come into his own with every new release and uh, has now evolved something that's very much his own style uh, he's a great nephew of Alice Coltrane and he Go started on. working in these kind of free jazz influences and what have you and uh, yeah it's just evolved a sound totally as well his last album Cosmogramma was almost my album of the year two years ago it was pipped to the post by Kanye West my beautiful dark twisted fantasy that had a kind of late year release but up till then Cosmogramma was my album of the year very busy kind of initially totally disorientating uh you know it's very hard to find your bearings with but then again once you listen to it you you begin to find your feet with it and uh until the quiet comes is pairs it down a bit it's still very much a flying lotus album but it's more i think he's described it as wanting to make like an album of children's music i think was how he described it so it's more kind of there's it's not that there's less going on or it's less complex but it's easier to find a foothold in and uh it's just a gorgeous sounding album and still very much like again like Paul Thomas Anderson another LA native who's shaking off his influences you know with every progressive release and coming to his own just there's nobody else out there just now making music that sounds like Flying Lotus you can still detect influences there's still, you can still hear like bits of Aphex Twin and other kind of his warp he's on warp records yeah. you can hear his kind Tremendous of label. Yeah, yeah, yeah but uh and Tom York and Johnny Greenwood are both on it, Erica Badu's on it, and you can hear kind of the influences that they all bring, but it's still just very much his own thing, and it's, uh, it's, it's astonishing, absolutely astonishing. Fantastic, and you see any good live? I mean, you've been seeing loads of live stuff. Yeah. Let's try and keep this reasonably um, brief, because well, I'm sure we're pushing over the hour. At the, at the absolute uh, farthest end of the spectrum possible from from the stuff that you were talking about with Agent and Pinko, I made a trip down to London earlier in the year to see Jay-Z and Kanye West at the O2, and it was like nothing else I've ever seen. It was just absolutely astounding. I mean, spectacle doesn't even begin to cover it. First off, I'd never been in the O2, and it is like something out of Star Wars. The O2 is the old millennium. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. It's like, you'd think that, I mean, we were in the kind of the first circle uh, like above standing and it went on for like another four stories above us you know you'd think it had been like digitally added like superimposed on your field of vision it's huge Um, but yeah it just I mean it's a a once in a lifetime thing I mean these are two total icons of of music of pop culture of of, you know of this century of you know this decade or whatever you want to put it 
this is probably never going to get the chance to see this again you know unless they make another album together or whatever but this would be like it's like this Jagger like, and McCartney or something yeah, like that or like in the 60s if you'd seen Marvin Gaye and Otis Redding play yeah. together or something you know this is two guys at their peak and, yeah. you know and not just it's not just to say that you've seen them they're still putting out like fantastic music and um, it, it was amazing they, they did like obviously they did their collaborative tracks that they did on Watch the Throne but they also traded off throughout the night and did some solo stuff right. and, you know they, like Jay-Z would do a few of his songs then Kanye would come on and they'd do a track together and then Jay-Z would go off and Kanye would do a set and um, there were fireballs and lasers and video screens and rising platforms with video screens on the side with lions and Dobermans and sharks and all this and uh it, yeah, it was amazing. Like, like, like nothing else. I've Did ever you seen. see sharks? Sharks. Yeah, I thought you said. Yeah, that. not not actual sharks. No, no. It's video footage. Yeah, of yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, um, live just, sharks. That'll be for the next sharks, time. That'll be the next one. Yeah, they'll just have tanks performing on top so of sharks. I think Jay Z would make a good Bond villain. I think there would be yeah. something in that. I can see him doing this. It, yeah, but um, no, just it's absolutely spectacular. And um, yeah, any other light when you spoke about David Byrne uh, yeah. at the GFT? But any other live uh, events and stuff up here in um, Scotland large, largely just gigs and what have you again yeah. with like, um, with work schedules and kind of keeping anti-social hours is kind of it has to be something that I really definitely want to go, yeah. make an effort to go see um, I just this week I saw Mission of Burma which was really cool uh, in mono obviously legendary American post-punks yeah. who have uh, made a good fist of a reunion blew your eardrums blew my eardrums and yeah it was great it was amazing seeing them at such close quarters I mean only about 200 people can fit in mono at a time so that was cool um, I saw Philip Glass in the Kronos Quartet do, oh, yeah. do his, a live soundtrack of his score for Dracula they played the, the Bela Lugosi Dracula Fantastic. on a screen behind them and, and the five of them sat you know glass behind his keyboard and the Kronos Quartet obviously on their stringed instruments and, and did the soundtrack live and that yeah that was amazing as well um, on just on, on a more small scale thing uh, one of my other favourite records of the year is by this American indie band Cloud Nothings, whose latest album is produced by Steve Albini. Yes, and it's this very, it's very much in that kind of style of, you know, eighties, nineties indie rock when you know, indie, like, you know, rock was still a big component yeah. of indie music, and um, it translated really well. A live set, and they played the Captain's Rest, which is sadly now defunct. Yeah, is that um, the Roxy now? Uh, or is the Roxy something else? I'm not sure. Actually, sorry, I, I, sorry, I know the Captain's Rest is now it's moved into town and become broadcast next to yeah, I'm not I just sure wondered, what's happening out at the actual. Because uh, I missed the Occupy were playing at the Roxy last night. I went, I don't know where the hell the Roxy is. It's not yeah. great. I will have to find out though. And well, might as well we're giving a wee plug. I hear our friend Craig Steele is opening a bar called the Sparkle Horse. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, up with the yeah. Is he? he is indeed. Fantastic. So get yourself along over Chris. I think it's going to open in the next couple of weeks over Where's Christmas. That, the Sparkle Horse. I don't know which. It's, was there a pub called Drummonds down that way? No. Mm, don't recognise. Well, maybe anyway. I know it's near Kelvin Bridge. I know right. it's called the Sparkle Horse. It's going to be the only one in Glasgow. And uh, Craig Steele's opening it with uh, Steve. From Biz, and I can't, he's gonna kill it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, so. Bravo to them. Bravo to them. Go along with that. That should be a right good uh, watering hole for your uh, folk who like their music. I can guarantee you the, the soundtrack will be great. Um, but that's that's an aside. Um, I hope we get a wee bit of advertising money for doing that. Uh, I'll just, as we come to round this up, mm-hmm. a couple of small things which I thought were tremendous this year. Um, uh, Kevin Williamson's Noyuriki, um, based in Edinburgh, has done some amazing nights. A lot of them based in Summer Hall, which is a fantastic arts venue. 
opened up in Edinburgh. Um, they came through to, to Glasgow and did one uh, in, in in mono. And that saw on stage at one time, talk about an indie supergroup, uh, Douglas Stewart, uh, Eugene Kelly and Davy Henderson from uh, from the Fire Engines and from Wynn and from, you know, Nectarine Number no. 9 and one of my favourite singers. And I'd, I hadn't seen him in years. Uh, and we were kind of chatting and stuff and this guy started singing as they were tuning up and I meet him, I knew that voice. And he looked exactly the same as he did in the 80s. It was the weirdest thing. But um, they, they that was a great night. There was readings. Kevin Williamson did a reading himself. They've got Noi Riki have got fantastic stuff going on throughout the year. Um, and I would recommend you go along to kind of anything that they do. There's some really good stuff, um, live stuff going on now. We thought this year, we saw the, sh the closing of things like Words Per Minute, which has now opened up again. Um, it seemed to be that these live events were getting less, but I'm hoping that, you know, actually new ones will come up to, to take their place. And we said cheerio from uh, Scotland to a um, friend of Oliver's and uh, Rog Glass is now down working in uh, in Manchester and writing from Manchester. But he had a go away, a go away night, that's the wrong thing. Mm. Uh, a, a farewell night, not a go away, we're not saying go away, we've had enough of you, Glass. A farewell night, which included a reading from Alistair Gray, uh, included um, music from Adam Stafford, who was just incredible. I didn't get the chance to see him. Um, many, uh, Emma Pollock uh, sang at it. Um, it was a, it was an amazing night. It was in the old hairdressers. It was absolutely packed, and that might be my night of the year. It was a, it was a great. Uh, we had, we had fun through at the book festival as well, of course, which was a bit of a boozy do. But um, yeah, it's been a good year for uh, for going out and doing stuff, and it's also been a good year for sitting in and listening and watching stuff. So uh, fantastic stuff. On let's see what twenty thirteen will uh, will do. I think we're going to go now um, for our start of the Scotsway Christmas night out. Let's go, which will consist of yeah. two Bud Vars and a Fentiman's lemonade yeah. in uh, in Mono. Uh, oh, I treat everyone very well. I'm going to leave You'll the see last just stumbling down King's, out of King's Court with tinsel wrapped around their necks. Exactly, <laughs> Santa hats on with flashing yeah. lights. That'll be yeah. it. Um, I'm going to leave the last word to uh, to Doctor Ronnie Young in his absence, who says, "Merry Christmas, Scotsway Hayland. God bless us, everyone." <laughs> and I think that's fine. We'll see you next time. Cheers. <laughs>